0: Hey, I'm Nathan. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to get to to uh, to speak to you this morning. Um, man, I'm tired. I'm just so tired. Uh, don't talk to me right now. You're gonna distract me. So I have this rare condition called attention hyperactivity deficit disorder. Super rare. Like none, nobody else has it but me. But uh. Dude, when I get tired, it is rough. Like, it's possible that I just walk off stage in the middle of things and don't even realize I'm doing it. It's that kind of bad today. So uh, I'm excited, though, to get to share. We're in the book of Colossians, and so usually when I get to preach and sub in for Chris, he's not usually sitting there, so I'm actually going to be able to make fun of him to his face today, Uh, and that is (laughs) really exciting. No, so... We're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible with you, raise your hand. We will bring you one. Um, we want you to know that you can keep that thing if you don't own one. It's our gift to you. Um, man, we're going to kind of talk about the importance of it today, so it's a good thing. We're going to be in Colossians. We've been going through Colossians. We just finished up chapter one last week. So I decided why not just go over it again. Uh, So no, I'm gonna be actually hitting a lot of stuff in Colossians, stuff in the future, like stuff that we'll be hitting in the next few weeks, stuff that we've already hit. And the reason is because of how Colossians, it works. It is laid out as one big thought and it was written for one purpose. And so as we see that purpose today, we've gotta kind of take all of it in. But my goal today is this, is that all of us in here would experience a couple of things one and this is one of my favorites is the freedom that's in christ Two, the oh man what's a good word the richness of christ we'll get to that i don't mean like chocolate cake which man that sounds good right now uh i mean but like how deep and great jesus is that's that's it So today, I'm going to preach about Jesus like we do every week. And I feel like I preach the same sermon every time I get to preach. But guess what? It's really the only one I got. Shut up. That's not how I meant it. I can do things, Troy. But it's the only one worth preaching. It's Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so let's do this. Let's ask God to help our hearts. God, help our hearts, especially Troy's. God, help us to be open to what you might want to do today. Remind us that there's no such thing as coincidence. That Every single one of us is sitting here and hearing this for a reason, God, that you've got me up here for some reason preaching. I've already started to see why you'd have me preach this, as you've convicted me and led me into things this week as I've studied your word. God, I pray that as we leave this place, above all, that your son Jesus is exalted high. That's it. Help our hearts now to believe. Help our hearts now and open our eyes to see Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. The book of Colossians, let me give you a quick rundown of the whole concept. We get introduced to this (coughs) theme and this idea of why Paul wrote this letter. It's a letter to the church at Colossae. (coughs) He's writing to the Colossians. (coughs) Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, he's never met these people, ever, ever. So he's writing them blind, cold. So what happened is on Paul's third missionary journey through Asia Minor, he stopped and hung out in Ephesus. While he was living and preaching in Ephesus and teaching in Ephesus, there was a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras in Ephesus, you got it? And so Epaphras receives Jesus, right? He believes in the gospel, he's saved. Well, he's from Colossae. So he's like, I'm headed home. And what he does is he goes home and he tells a bunch of people about Jesus, and then a bunch of people accept Jesus as as their Lord, and now we've got a church there. That's what it is. Bunch of people together, that's the church. So we've got this little body there in Colossae. So Paul, when he wrote this letter, he's in prison in Rome, right? So he is locked up, and what's happened is that Epaphras has come to visit him in, in prison, okay? The guy who started kind of this church at Colossae. And he's given Paul a report, and we'll see that Paul really, really, really cares about the health of his churches. And you gotta think, these are brand new, like, upstart things. These people have no clue. This Jesus thing is new. So without direction from the apostles, it's, it can be a difficult time and a time to kind of be worried about these new believers because they're like, they don't, they don't have this right here, Right? We get to see everything in hindsight. They're trying to figure it out as it goes. And these are Gentiles, so they're not Jews. So they don't know about the covenant. They don't know about the Messiah, right? They don't, they've never heard all these prophecies. So they're just now learning. So Paul is constantly worried about them. It's kind of like their mama. And so Epaphras comes and he's telling them, hey, the church at Classe is doing good. Man, they really took off and Everyone is just all about living for Christ. But we've got a problem. And what had happened is that because there was kind of just all new Gentile people who had really no clue where to go after they were saved, what to do after they were saved, how to think, all these things that we've got in this book right here, there was this dude, right? And we don't know this dude's name. But he taught what he called the philosophy. And I'm trying to like think about how I think about this dude, but think about like some kind of mystic shaman mixed with a uh, like some kind of crazy rabbi, Jewish guy, and then a hippie. Like he's kind of hippie, and then a politician. So like not the guy you're going to leave your kids with, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not going to trust this dude at all. He's got a silver tongue. He's, cl- he's just based on some of the stuff that you'll see in Colossians 3, which I will skip ahead and hit a little bit. You're welcome. Uh, but we'll, we'll see that he, he's about visions. So more than likely, this guy claims that he's had a special vision from God, that he knows more than all the other people do, that God's given him an inside look into how things are. He prays to angels as good luck charms. He, like, is into asceticism, which is, is, uh, like, not, like, abstaining from certain things. Oh, like, eating. He is into, like, (laughs) self-punishment. So, like, self-mutilation, like, taking a whip and hitting yourself when you sin, that kind of stuff. And we also know that he's Jewish because he's instituting these Sabbaths and these feasts and these moon celebrations and all this stuff. He's just a whole kind of mix of, like, a really, really like hippie cult leader guy, but he comes in with authority. because And what he's saying, these people don't know, so what he's saying kind of makes sense. Like These things kind of line up with the Old Testament maybe. So it's very possible and plausible that they could believe these things. So Epaphras tells Paul about this, and Paul is troubled. So Paul immediately writes this letter to them. <clears throat> We've always already seen through chapter 1 that he spends all of chapter 1 talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I don't know if you've read chapter 1, if you haven't been with us, it's a big, big, big picture of, of it. He uses words like he's preeminent. He's the firstborn. He's the, uh, he's, everything was created for him, by him, and through him. He's supreme over all things. He's the image of the invisible God paints this huge picture of Jesus and then tells them about what he's really done, that he has redeemed us. He has taken us, which had no value, especially these Gentiles, and he has given them value. That's what redeem means. To give something that has no worth to give it value and worth. So he's redeemed us. He's reconciled us back to God. He's repaired that relationship that we had broken because we were hostile in mind and doing evil deeds like it says. He's made peace between God and man by the blood of his cross. says all these things, big, huge things, amazing theological ideas about who Jesus is. It's awesome. And he lays all of this out for them. And then he picks up, and this is where we're gonna start reading. Where is it? There it is. Chapter one, verse uh, 27. We'll start there. Excuse me. He says this, to them, the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, so important right there, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. You can see him like he's struggling with it. He's toiling with it. Why? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I love this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Hear this. You're going to hear this verse this weekend, next week. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So we see the purpose. Paul tells them, this is why I'm writing you. This is exactly the reason I'm writing you. Because I'm worried about you. I do not, I want to say all these things to you because I don't want you to be deluded by plausible arguments. He says, I, I'm, I want to see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. This is the purpose for him writing it. Now, what he wants to do, he says earlier, and he says, I want to encourage your heart. So we see that, the way that we can battle against false teaching and believing the right things is for our hearts to be encouraged. Well, how are our hearts encouraged? When we have the full assurance, right? It says it right there, when we have the full assurance of understanding and the non-knowledge of God's mystery, whom is Christ. Paul likes these run-on sentences, right? He like, do you know what an appositive is? Like anytime you see something in commas, Like, dude, Paul writes with more commas than any human being ever. And sometimes it can kind of get a little bit like, okay, where are we going here? What are we doing here? What's going on? But Paul knows for sure that if he can encourage their hearts with assurance, with assurance that everything that they need to know and understand is found in Christ and not in all the bull that this dude is trying to teach them and add on to things like extra work, like, seeing visions and praying to angels. and he, Dude, he's got a smoke pot. I mean, there's just no way he does not This dude is just... I mean, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I don't know. Some magic desert cactus. Who knows? But dude is weird. He's teaching all this stuff, but Paul's saying, dude, you don't need that stuff the way that I can to keep you from believing those things and seeing those things is if you find encouragement and you are convinced that all the answers about who God is and what he requires of you are found in Jesus. He said it, in whom the treasures of all understanding and knowledge are found. Paul knows, knows that everything that we know, need to know about who God is, everything has been revealed in Jesus this mystery, this plan that was like not known as we see through the whole Old Testament, all of a sudden is revealed and everything finds its like complete completion kind of finish in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. He has met all the requirements. He is the Messiah, the promised one. He is the way that God has made a a way for a relationship with his creation in him again. Jesus has come and reconciled us back to God. It's finished. He's done it. And Paul wants to make sure that they know this. Now, we see here that assurance and understanding and knowledge are important. Paul brings it up multiple times, multiple times. So there's gotta be something locked in there. What he's saying is that for us to be protected from bad things, like false teachings, and what he says, just a verse before that, to be mature in Christ, we need to understand, know, and be convinced by Jesus. Simply, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is everything. If you walk out of here today with one thing, one thing, your kids, if they're in here, anybody can understand this. It's the most important thing you'll ever hear, know. Jesus is everything. Paul wants them to know that you can't understand God without Jesus. So what does that mean for us? This book Every word of it is about Jesus. Every single word about Jesus. How we are to live our lives, at the center of it is Jesus. Not some misconception that we have about Jesus or something that we add on to who Jesus is. See, all of us have an opinion, don't we? Yeah, shake your head this way. I've seen your Facebook accounts. Don't even lie. You have opinions. And some of them are dumb. Dumb. If you want to know if yours is dumb, come talk to me afterward. I will tell you straight to your face. Your opinion's dumb. Nah, my opinions are mostly dumb too, but we all have an opinion. We all see things differently. And what what Paul's saying is like, n- there's no room to see anything differently here. He's the treasure of all understanding and all knowledge. He is everything. And a lot of times what we do is we see ourselves and the way that we see ourselves and the way we op- have our opinions and shape our worldview the way we see the world, we take that like a lens or um, hey, let me put it in today's terms, a filter on your Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok or whatever you weirdos to use. Uh, but it's like a filter, right? And we, what we do is we take who we are and we put this filter on it, and that's how we view Jesus. When really what we need to be doing is taking this filter that starts with Jesus And then we see ourselves through it rather than making him something that he's not. We see ourselves through him. Here's the the dangerous part. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was dumb. Um, And I grew up in a great, great Christian household. Um, Man, my, my parents taught me the scriptures. I'm so, so thankful for it. Oh my gosh. As, as thankful as I am for food, I'm not even kidding. They fed me pretty much all the time. Uh, but as thankful as I am for them, like, taking care of my physical needs, the fact that they, like, just incorporated Scripture into our home, and the fact that, I don't know, it's just dear to me because of it. Um, man, do that with your kids. I know you might be like, I don't know how. You don't have to be, like, a rocket scientist to read words to them. Uh, it's, it's worth it. It's one of the things I appreciate most about how my parents raised me was that, all right, ADD gone. But I know this, whether it was, I I grew up at a great church too. And even though I was in those great environments, I started to develop my own concept of who Jesus is. And it wasn't, it might be like from things that I picked up around the church or from other people, but it definitely wasn't intentionally done to me like, in a mean way, like, ooh, we're going to teach him wrong things. That's that's not what happened at all. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I did this. So <sighs> depending on my circumstances at the time, I would make deals with God to try to improve those circumstances. Anybody ever done that? Or if things were going wrong for me, I would automatically assume that I, I was like, God was mad at me because I was like sinning, doing something wrong and bad. Here's where it gets fun. So if you know me, I like to go outside and do things, and and I like to hunt furry things and catch fishy things, and it's just what I do. I like to do all those things. It's fun to me, and it's delicious, too. Uh, Amen. amen. So I remember being like 13, 14, 15, 16, whatever, sitting in a deer stand, and this this I'm going to label so you can't use it. I'm going to copyright it. I'm going to call this deer stand repentance. Um, So if I'm sitting up in a tree stand, and I'm not seeing anything. Then my mind would all, all, like always, be drawn to this thought that I wasn't seeing stuff because I was a sinner. Like I wasn't doing good enough for God. I told you I'm, I'm not right either. I mean, like I'm kind of messed up in the head. But like there was this immediate association, and what I know now, it was like spiritual battling going on in me, and. The devil trying to accuse me and try to make me ashamed, but it would kind of make me feel that way. So in the back of my head, I'd start getting get convicted of all these things, and I wouldn't say this to God, but in, like I'd be thinking, you know what? If I just repented of all this stuff right now. Like, hey, God, sorry I haven't talked to you in a month. Hey, God, I'm, I'm sorry I had those thoughts about this and that. And that. If, if I started to do that, maybe my, my luck would change. Maybe the deer would walk out. No, I'm not kidding. This is how foolish I was. I'm completely foolish. Like, I didn't realize that maybe it's just really freaking hot one day, you know? Like, sometimes deer just don't want to move, and that might be it. And that sounds ridiculous and over the top, but I guarantee it that you do it too, because I still do it with things too. Because my first thought, my first thought when something goes wrong in my life is that I did something to bring it upon myself. It could be a circumstance that is completely out of my control. Somebody gets sick. I run into somebody that is like just mad and having a bad day and takes it out on me. Whatever, and I'm immediately like, dude, what, what did I do to deserve this? Not in like a, oh, what I no, literally, what did I do? What could I repent of? And what all it really does is it makes me ashamed. It makes me do things extra. What I should really be doing is believing that, no, my identity is in Jesus And God approves of me no matter what. Now, yeah, there's times in life he might discipline me and rebuke me, but he always accepts me. And I don't have to do certain things to change my circumstances. I'm already changed. I'm already with Jesus in his bones, the Bible says. I add things to Jesus. You might be sitting here today and you might be adding things to Jesus like this. If you think that, to get God's approval of you, for him to be happy with you, that even after you've received Christ by grace and faith, that you have to do all the right things for him to be happy with you, and that he's going to be angry, angry, angry with you when you sin. If you believe that you must make up for it, to get God to be cool with you again, then you're not believing in the right Jesus. See, here's the the truth. Jesus died for you while you were really, 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 really messed up. You were at your worst. That's when he died for you. That's when he saved you. The Colossians even says that you were hostile against him. You were his enemy uh, to the point of where you had taken action against him violently hostile. You are doing evil deeds. You are in the middle of doing the worst thing possible is when he reconciled you to God. That's when he saved you. So why in the world do you think, why in the world do you think that your good works have any bearing on your relationship with God? You're standing with him. You might have gone to a church. I know this is prevalent. And this is probably not gonna make everybody happy, but it's just the truth. You might've gone to a church that taught you that after you are saved, you must be a good person after that. There's a checklist of things that you must do, right? Come to church, read your Bible, pray, serve, all these things. And then there's a checklist of things you can't do. And those are the real good ones, right? Like for me back in the day, it was you can't smoke, that's bad. You can't drink, that's bad. Can't watch R rated movies, that's bad. You can't kiss your girlfriend, that's real, real, real bad. Like, here's a ring to prove you won't kiss her anymore. Some of y'all get that. Here's the deal some of it sounds believable, right? Because the, the Bible says that a person who is saved and redeemed by Jesus, their life will look different afterward. So it does say that. Like there has to be an outward change because of this inner change. It will happen, but it is the work of Christ in you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand. You are not doing those works. It is Christ in you. If you are a changed person, yes, you will look very, very different. In fact, we're gonna see it in a second. You will put off the old self and put on the new self. But but if we think and if we are being taught that our behavior must be in line with this, this kind of whatever, whatever's being taught for us to keep approval with God, then we are being lied to because your approval in God does not rest in your own effort, but in the finished work of Jesus. Note, I said finished work of Jesus. And no one can take that away from you. If you are being taught that you must do something plus Jesus to be saved, you are being deceived. That is being deluded by plausible arguments. That is being taken captive by philosophies of empty deceit. Literally taken captive, that's, the, the word in the Greek kind of means like pirated, like when things are stolen off a ship. You are being pirated, made a slave, put in shackles and like entered in and sold because you will end up dead and empty. These things deceive you because they look OK, but they are not. The truth is this, and this is what Paul is saying over and over and over. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And that's not a popular opinion today, is it? No one wants to say there's just one way to to God. No one wants to say that there's only one way to God, but it is the truth. And when we venture into this world, we are going to be met with serious serious rebuttal against that point because everyone's got their own story, their own journey. Everyone just needs to live their truth. God can be Yahweh, Allah, and Buddha. He's just a higher spiritual power. Really, we just need to all get along, and by get along, I just mean that you need to shut up about one way. Like, this is what we in, interact with and encounter, and it is not popular to say Jesus and only Jesus. But we are doing the people we are, we've been put around by God and the people that we love and care about, we are doing them a disservice. A disservice if we buy into it with them. And in our great love for people, from our love for people, we should always stand firm on. In Christ alone. It's the thing we cannot budge on. I know that's not easy for people to hear. I get it. You might say, dude, God only given one way. You know what I say? God gave us a way. He didn't have to. That's the gospel. We don't deserve it he gave us a way. Paul over and over saying, Jesus is the way. Him we proclaim. Him and only him. In him is the treasures of all understanding and knowledge. God has revealed himself through Jesus. It's just, just Jesus. So in Colossae, when this guy is telling them they have to do all these extra rituals, when they have to fast or beat themselves with a whip, or they have to have a vision from God, or whether that. Be a Sabbath that they have to take or an offering that they have to give. All of these things are completely empty. And instead of getting us closer to God and growing us spiritually, they actually push us further and further away because we start trusting in our own effort, our own performance, rather than Jesus's finished ones. So if you are here today, you, this is for you good news. Good news. God does not approve of you because of how good you are. Your good works are filthy rags before him. God approves you because he approves of his son, Jesus. So believe in Jesus. That's freedom, right? It's one of my favorite things about Jesus, freedom. I was 22 until I felt that freedom. 22, I was already working here. And my life was just full of shame. Like I would do something bad and because I thought that God would be disapproving of me, I would go hide it. I was was good at hiding. I would hide stuff because it carried out into my other relationships too so I'd hide things from people so they wouldn't be disappointed in me because that's how I viewed God and I viewed relationships. So I would either do that, I would either hide things from people or I would just be really super fake in front of people so that they would think that I'm doing good. If I can fake it in front of them, then surely I can fake it in front of God but on the inside, I'm like crumbling. I'm like not living for Jesus It's because I constantly felt like I had to Get approval and get approval. And it wasn't until I realized that I already have it. That's when it was just like, oh, relief and peace and freedom. So for you, trust in Jesus. Here's the meat of what we're talking about today. It won't be as long as you might think. think only another hour or so. Uh, <laughs> I could, but I'm not going to. Uh so this, this is really what's going on. The re, what Paul and his goal really is, he wants to protect them from the false teachings. But the reason he wants to protect them from the false teaching, because his greatest desire for this church is for them to grow. I don't mean in size, but I mean like spiritually grow. He says it, that we would be mature in Christ. He, was, he is trying, that's his main goal. Seeing these churches become mature in Christ. Now, that word mature in the Greek is teleos, which everywhere else in the Greek, it's translated as lacking nothing, perfect, holy. And we see in Colossians 1, 21 through 23 that that's what Jesus came to do for us. That's why he saved us. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled us in his body, excuse me, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, to present you mature, lacking nothing, perfect, holy. That's why God has saved you, to redeem everything about you. Not just save you in the moment, justify you, forgive you of your sins, but to continually, continually transform you, to shape you into something that was there before sin entered the world to transform you into his image, to present you holy and blameless to himself. That is the point. And so Paul falls right in line with that. And he says, I want my churches to be that. I fall in line with Jesus and I want to make them mature, make them perfect. So here's the point of the day. Your Christian life doesn't end with your salvation. I said earlier that it's not about us doing good works. But I'll say this that's what we were created to do. It's not about us doing good works so that we could find approval in God and, and salvation in God and reconciliation with God. That's not it. That is the senseless religion, the self made religion, and empty, like things of empty deceit that Paul's talking about. No, God has saved us so that we can be empowered and set free to actually start doing the good works. And the good works, you'll see, are not really all done with our hands. They're issues of the heart, not issues of the flesh. We don't beat our backs with whips and go into vision quests to find our spirit animals. We do things like put on humility, compassion, and kindness. We do things like love our enemy and our neighbor. We put off things like malice and hate and anger and sexual immorality. We put off things like shame and fear because that's not who we are anymore. (laughs) And this, this whole series, the whole tagline is who is Jesus and who am I? Jesus is everything. And the greatest thing you could ever hear is you're in him. And that's kind of what we're, we're leading into. So here, here's the question. We know that there's something after your salvation. You're prepared for good works. So what does maturity in Christ look like? And I just said it. It's in Colossians 3. We won't go there for the sake of time. But we put to death sin in our life, right? We put to death. If you want to see what a mature, like a maturing Christian looks like, is they're constantly putting to death sin, Now, some of you go, man, that just means I don't get to do the fun stuff. No, that just means that you aren't drinking the poison that's killing you anymore. It's killing you. It's like a vape pen, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, sure, you're going to look real cool, but you're going to (laughs) die. Vape pens. But no one brought that up this morning in church anywhere kissing your girlfriend, vape pens. Uh. So what does maturity in Christ look like? We put our sin to death. Someone who is saying, no, 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 no. That's not my desire. We put sin to death. The other mark, and this, what we're talking about sanctification here, right? This process of becoming more and more mature, more holy, looking more like Jesus. The second thing, is we put on these virtuous things. So it's like we change clothes. We take off earthly desires. We take off sin, and we put on the new self that you will hear about in a couple of weeks in Colossians 3. We put on the new self, where we put on humility. We put on love. We put on unity. We seek to bind things, bind together in perfect harmony We forgive one another when one of us wrongs one another. We show mercy to those who don't get mercy. We show compassion to those who don't deserve it. We seek the good of the people we live around. All these things that Jesus did for us. And so here's the thing. If you tried to do that, if you said, dude, I'm not going to be angry anymore. You know why? Because I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Good luck. So the question is, you're going to fail at that, right? Because the first time someone does something stupid to you, which they will. Yeah, drive. Go drive somewhere. Log on to your phone. Somebody's going to make you mad at some point soon. You do not have the strength to not be angry anymore. If you're dealing with sexual sin, you do not have the strength to just overcome it. You don't just go, I'm not going to lust anymore. You don't just one day wake up and go, I'm not going to lie anymore. Everything's better now. It doesn't doesn't work that way. So the idea of growing at all, to to be presented holy and blameless, how in the world are we going to do it? Seems like pretty, pretty bad news. Like the verdict's already been put down. It is going to be impossible for us to do this. We can't do it. You will fail every time. at it. So how do we grow? That's the question. Uh, it's so simple. It's so good. And it's I'm telling you guys, this changed my life. When I was 22 years old, this changed my life. And I hope, and I'm, I'm like praying right now for you, that this changes your life now. Because Paul gives us some of the most hopeful instruction that he's ever given. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How do we grow? How do we put sin to death? How do we put on these new virtues? With the exact same faith that saved you. Here's the fact of the matter. I'll read Colossians 1, 21 through 23 again. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you Continue the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The way that you're presented holy and blameless is because Jesus changes your identity, He changes who you are completely. And the only thing that you had to do with it is placing your faith in Him. And the same thing that reconciled you back to God will continue to sanctify you to look more like Jesus. The treasures of the wisdom, of the treasures of understanding and knowledge of God are found in Jesus Christ. See, we grow spiritually when we have a deeper understanding and knowledge of the gospel. When we believe it more and more. The same gospel that saved you, you need just as much today and you need Jesus just as much today as that day. So you're angry, you know what gets rid of anger? The gospel, the same thing that saved you. I was fallen and separated from God by sin. So God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, to live a perfect life that I could not live, to die a death that I deserved to die, and in doing so, imputed his righteousness, gave me his righteousness and took my wickedness and was judged on the cross so that God would, could show me mercy and grace and forgive me of my sins and trespasses and forget them forever as far as east is from the west. And then he rose from the dead and he defeated death and sin forever and ever and he gives me eternal life. That simple thing could get rid of your anger. If you understand that more, if you bask in that more, if you dig in that more, that can get rid of your anger. Why? Because you were fallen in sin and an enemy of God, and he had every single right in his holy wrath and his holy anger to judge you and punish you, to give you exactly what you deserved. But instead, he put it on his own son so that you could have eternal life. And if he could do that, to die for someone who wanted to kill him and take his job, someone who had committed treason, the ultimate crime, if he could do that for you, then surely when someone cuts you off in traffic, you can find a way to forgive them. Surely when your kids annoy you, which is inevitable, you can remember that you were a very, very disobedient child too. You know what God did to you? He brought you closer to himself. He adopted you when he didn't have to. See, the gospel can change everything. Jesus is everything. Him we proclaim. The only way you can be mature in Christ is to trust more in Jesus, to put your faith deeper in Jesus, to understand him and know him. And that is how your heart will be encouraged like we saw in the first couple of verses because you will have the full assurance of that understanding and knowledge. See, when we understand and we know at a deeper and deeper, deeper level, we are more and more and more convinced. I I like to research things. Y'all like to research things? I don't know if that's you. Some of y'all just live your life on the edge. I don't know how you do that. I gotta know what I'm getting into. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know it might just be Dairy Queen, but I gotta know what they have before I roll in there because I don't want to be standing there long. Now, granted, you know what I'm gonna get. I'm just gonna get me some desserts, some cool treats, and I'm gonna roll. But I do research on everything. In fact, lately it's snow geese. I know I'm nerdy. Uh, lately it's snow geese. So if you want to know about snow geese, which I don't know if you want to. I, I, know, I know things. And I've, I've like put myself through the ringer listening to the most boring podcasts, and reading the most boring stuff just to learn about snow geese. But what it's made me do is I appreciate them more. Like I understand them better. I appreciate them more. It's just like this, your relationship with your spouse or your kids or a friend The more you know that person, the longer you're around them, the more you find out about them, how they go through situations, going through those situations with them, the more that is revealed about that person to you, the more connected you are with them, the more invested you want to be in it, the more you appreciate it. Your relationship with Christ is the same thing. So, are you investing in it? Are you seeking deeper wisdom? You want to grow? You want to grow? Simple, practical thing. You ready? Read your Bible. (laughs) Read your Bible. You know why? Because if Jesus is everything, and that's where we find all the answers to everything and grow deeper uh, with God and our relationship with him, all of it's right there in that book. Every bit of it. Jesus is revealed in this book. So read it. Spend time talking to God. Prayer. Prayer. We don't do these things to get God's approval like I used to do, like checking off the list. Oh, if I do all these good things, maybe God will love me, accept me. No, we don't do it to get approval. We do it because we already have it. I promise you'll find your joy and your delight and we'll abound in thanksgiving, just like Paul says to do at the end. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him, being rooted in him, and grounded in him, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving, a mark of our lives as we look deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel, we inevitably, we can't help it, we will be more and more grateful for it. Because when we peer into the gospel, into the face of Jesus and what he's done, when we see him better, we start to see ourselves and we realize how far off we are, how much we've missed the mark. And that just makes the gospel that much sweeter, doesn't it? So, you want to grow in Christ? Walk in Jesus. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Today, every day, a new Christian Trust in the Lord Jesus. Seek to grow deeper in him, to love him more, to to just surround yourself with him and he will transform you. He will do the work in you. Stop trying so hard to get something you already have. The last thing, just something practical for you. (laughs) <clears throat> two like really practical things you can do i've already said one of them one of them is to set your mind on the things that are above not on the things that are on earth that's colossians 3 you'll see that soon basically if all wisdom and knowledge are in jesus and jesus is revealed in the scripture then read your bible talk to god more importantly do you do you spend time listening Try it. He'll talk to you, I promise. Now, I'm not like, if you walk up to me and go, dude, I heard this voice. And it sounded like Michael Landon. And he said there's a highway to heaven. Now, that's crazy stuff, okay? So no, don't be coming to me like that, all right? But are you listening to God? Are you spending time with him in prayer where you're just listening? And then when you hear something from God, when you read something in the scriptures that shines a light on your life, Obey it. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will not fail you. Surrender to him. Lean not on on your own understanding. Like give it up. Say, no, Jesus, you're 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 the boss. Dude, that's where you're gonna find joy in this growth. You'll abound in thanksgiving. Dude, I don't know about you, but the times of my life that have been the best, I wasn't like all just mad all the time and bitter at the world. No, it was times that I was rejoicing, I was thankful for things. Like when I'm really, really thankful for my kids, like, or I'm thankful for my wife, those are the moments that really bless our hearts encourage our hearts, isn't it? When we like have a moment with a friend where you're like, dude, I'm so glad this person's my friend. It grows you. You abound in thanksgiving. I wanna be a person like that. I wanna be a person who is having those kind of moments all the time. So we set our minds on things that are above. The other thing, I didn't hit and we'll be done. Paul said this earlier, he wants to encourage their hearts knit together in love, knit together in love to reach full assurance. Okay, so there's this little thing in there that this idea that we, church, people would be unified together because we love each other, that has some kind of bearing on fighting against false teachings, about maturing in Christ, about keeping Jesus at the center of everything, and here is why. Because there's something magical about Jesus in this scripture right here. We can grow in understanding of the gospel, okay? We can grow in our own understanding personally, our own knowledge of who Jesus is, our own knowledge of the gospel. It can be great to us, but there's something different about this Jesus thing and about gospel. See, it just, and Paul mentions it here, it seems to have this effect, that when we are knit together in love, when our hearts are unified and together, and when we love each other, we don't just get more affection from each other and just some friends and family to be around. No, we somehow together find a deeper understanding in the gospel. We can dig deeper into how good it is. We can see it for more of what it is. And here's why I think so. Because it's only in relationships that we can experience what God did for us when we're around other people. It's around other people that we can forgive. It's around other people that we can be forgiven. It's around other people that we can show mercy and compassion, that we can encourage one another, that we can go through struggles with one another. All these things that God does for us in the gospel We actually get to participate in too. You want to more fully know the gospel? Then go live it. That's the greatest part about it. So the second thing that you need to do to grow in maturity with Christ is be involved with other people, dadgummit. (laughs) The Christian life is not about you and God's relationship. It's about Jesus and his bride. Plug in. Seek other believers out. Enter into relationships with them where that you hold each other accountable, where you read the scriptures together, where you try to understand the gospel more. Use your relationships that you already have with your family, with your kids, with your wife. Say, man, we're gonna make it a goal in this family to have a deeper understanding and knowledge of Jesus and the gospel. Boy, you wanna talk about your family changing. Practice, you get to practice forgiving people. They're gonna screw up. They always do. And when you do, you're going to see it too. You will be able to identify with the gospel better than ever. So find community. And ultimately, it's this. Love your neighbor and your enemy. Isn't it cool? Everything does come back to that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? Jesus is everything. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. Boom. That's that's everything. I can drop the mic. Bye. And I will. Hear this when you go out, Uh, real quick. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ, and you're even going, dude, you've been talking a long time and you don't make any sense. I I can just tell you this right now. Uh, This is the truth, and I'm saying this because I care about you. There is no other way to God. And to reject Jesus Christ is to reject God, and that will end in wrath and judgment and punishment. I know that is not popular opinion, but it's just true. And I only say it because I care for you and I'm so glad someone cared for me. I'm so glad Jesus cares, and Jesus cares for you too, and he's seeking a relationship, a real relationship with him, the image of the invisible God, this preeminent God himself. He wants to have a relationship with you, and the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. Lean not on your own understanding. Repent of everything that you hold fast to that is of yourself and say, Jesus, I'm yours. Like, you're the boss now. If you wanna talk about that, we'll be up here after the service. Please don't leave without talking about that if that, that's something that God's on your heart and it's not by coincidence that that's hitting you right here right now. For church, I, I wanna leave you with this. John 15, four through five. Oh, this is good. Abide in me. Rest in that verse. So church, walk in him. Walk in him. Let's pray. God, I pray that your word was heard today and not mine. God, I pray that you would reveal to us Just the the riches, the riches of glory that we can find in Jesus. Show us that he's the hope. Show us that he's our peace. Show us that he's the treasures of all wisdom and understanding. And God, as we value him more, God, help us to obey when you tell us to do something. We want to be mature in you. And we know that we can't do it on our own. So God, I pray that you would use the people around us and God, that you would lead us to do so. Convict us to put off sin. Encourage us that we find our identity and who we are now in you, forgiven a child, yours. God, send us out into this world to preach good news. To preach that Jesus has made a way. Amen.